0: Welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast, the podcast that's all about cops. I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. You have tuned in, undoubtedly, to the most informational law enforcement podcast out there today day because we'll talk to real cops, some active, some retired, and we'll get the inside story on law enforcement. Again, I'm retired Officer Bill McReynolds, the host of the Boys in Blue podcast, and I'm seated once again behind the stainless steel titanium microphone inside the Boys in Blue podcast studio here in beautiful Mesa, Arizona. As uh, many of you know, I've retired from the Pierce County Sheriff's Office up in Washington State. And I have the absolute pleasure today to have one of my former co-workers, uh, retired Deputy Pete Carter, who now lives in Surprise, Arizona, retired. Pete, are you there? Welcome to the Boys in Blue podcast. Thank you, Bill. I'm here. Great. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you've been down here in... uh, let me see, if I remember right, you started as a deputy sheriff there in 1977, and you retired somewhere around 2008?
1: Correct. Retired in
0: 2008 as the captain of detectives, so I wow, okay. have a looked back. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you're down here in sunshine and blue skies. Now, do you live in Arizona full-time now? Yes, we do. Okay, Yeah. Uh, so many guys go back and forth for a while, and they finally decide on one or the other. They either pick it gets too much to uh, maintain. Two that places. That was us. Yeah. We had two places for a while, but then not anymore. Just yeah. So you retired here. You retired as a captain. So let me ask you this: You grew up in Washington. Whereabouts did you grow up at? I grew up in the city of Tacoma. Tacoma. I was a local boy up there. Okay. No. So I was also. So what high school did you go to? I went to Lincoln High School. Lincoln. That's a tough school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I went to my. We always homeless.
1: used to joke. You joke. Yeah, you joke. You come out of Lincoln, you either become a crook or a cop. There's no oh, in
0: between. I tell you what. Yeah, that, that you could go the right way there. <laughs> well, speaking of being a cop, what uh, attracted you to law enforcement? How did you get involved in that? I was. Uh, I was raised by a single
1: mom. So I was always just kind of looking for a good job and some security. And I thought that, uh, that sounded pretty good. Something like the military. And I, I liked the, the, just the fact of being in a uniform. I liked the regimentation and I thought that would be a good job. Um, for me, I enjoyed that kind of stuff. I, I like, I like working with people, uh, a little bit of mayhem never scared me. so. It it just kind of appealed
0: to me as as a good way to spend a career. You know, I, Pete, uh, we didn't have a lot of calls together, but we started, we served about the same time. Now I do remember you kind of, uh, like Mayhem doesn't bother you. You were always kind of cool, (laughs) you collected while everybody else was going crazy. (laughs) Now, what I remember when you first came on, I'd been on already. But I remember that the word was that you had scored very high on the entrance exam, and that you were a well-educated man. Is that true?
1: Well, I don't know how well-educated I was, but I did have a college degree. I went to Pacific Lutheran out there, and, and I did score pretty high on the test. And later on, that uh, that paid. You know, I was always a good test taker. That paid off well as I went
0: through the ranks and got took promotional tests. You know, and that's a good point for the young guys coming on. Um, even guys that are already on, if they can go to school, I mean, that just seems to be the common theme that when you're educated, you you just become uh, more promotable and just better at, uh, at the big picture on how things work. And I remember also, didn't you work at a pizza place before you came on the department? Or I can't remember that. What is that, Spud's I, Pizza?
1: I, Spud's Pizza. I did, Bill. Basically, in my lifetime, I've had two jobs. I worked at Spud's Pizza Parlor from all through high school and college. And then I got hired by the Sheriff's Department, and I worked for the Sheriff's Department.
0: So basically, my whole life, I've had two jobs. That's pretty good. You know, you didn't have to do redo a resume every three weeks. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's always pretty easy. And I also remember, just because you were one of the guys, I remember, I can't remember. I don't know if it was your house. We had a squad party across. Did you live across the bridge? No, I did not. Okay, maybe that was someone else's house. Maybe I think maybe it was Masco's house. I can't remember. But anyway, um, I also remember when you made sergeant. Uh, I remember some lieutenant told you that you're going to have to change relationships with the guys now, Pete. You can't be uh, you can't be friends with them anymore. And I always kind of bothered me that. Uh, they had that lieutenant had that attitude. Now, do you remember that? I do. They <laughs> and that's kind of the
1: the pitch they give you is you know you now you have to be separate yourself and you know act different and all that stuff. And it never it never sunk into me. I
0: I remained one of the boys till the day I retired. Yeah, you know I, that always didn't sit well with me either, and. I remember the actual lieutenant that gave you that (laughs) advice and I never really, well, nobody wanted to warm up to him either. So, I mean, uh, I was glad you didn't, you didn't take that to heart. (laughs) No, I did not. Wow. Okay. So now you were in patrol there and how long did you, everybody starts in patrol, of course. Who did you, uh, who was your first sergeant? Who was my first sergeant? Yeah. I'm trying to remember which squad you worked with.
1: The best, I, I started out, they bounced around for a while. I had several different sergeants. They'd send them down to the jail and then send them back out. They weren't They weren't the, the greatest examples to follow. But then they. Uh, I was assigned Bill Sewer. Oh, yeah. Bill Sewer. And he was, he was a very impressive guy, great guy, very impressive. And, and he kind of took me through my probate stuff. Second half of my probationary period, and, and I—he wow. was a good guy. I learned a lot from him. And we Super lost guy. him to
0: cancer pretty early. He was—it was, yeah. uh, it was a pretty sad case, but he was an outstanding guy. You know, he was my sergeant twice. He was my sergeant oh, when I was in what? traffic, and then when I got into canine. Uh, after a while, he became my canine sergeant. Wonderful guy. Oh man, he's just great. And I love Bill. And, I can tell yeah. you. Well, these you were stories. lucky to have him twice, and yeah for sure absolutely so uh how long were you in patrol? I know you um you uh, promoted to sergeant, but how long did you actually work the street?
1: Let's see i was the patrol deputy for five years, and then I was promoted to sergeant, so i stayed in uh stayed in patrol oh, as a patrol sergeant for another four years, so I spent a total of eight of
0: that nine years a deputy and sergeant in patrol okay so then from patrol sergeant you went to
1: what division then i went down to the special investigation unit which is basically and narcotics worked dope for a number of years now that was, that was a fun assignment i really enjoyed that how long did you do that i did that for about three years as i recall i think we did three years rotations back then you know, and that was enough. Uh, I I don't think it's healthy for a guy to work narcotics more than five, three to five years. You know, it's just not a real healthy environment.
0: I agree. I agree 100%. In fact, I was in traffic. And I was uh, I was so tired of writing tickets, Pete. <laughs> I was in the pumpkin squad. And I was so tired of pulling cars over. And they had an opening in uh, NARC's. So I put in for it, and uh, they said, well, they gave it to uh, Rich Rice and instead of me, okay. even though uh, I had a little more seniority. But they said, you know, reasonably so. They said, you're already in a special assignment. Uh, we're not going to take it from there. We're going to take a guy that hasn't had taken on a patrol, give them a break from patrol. So um, <laughs> I didn't get that job, but I look back on that, uh, and I eventually ended up in canine, which was my niche as far as I'm concerned. But I'm so glad I didn't get that because you're right. That, the guys that hung in there for a while, oh, my gosh, you know, that's, that can be uh, very challenging on your mental well-being and, uh, and social life and everything else, uh, dealing with that narc stuff. So I'm glad you recognize that. So you're there about three years. Now. Did you transfer out or did they just transfer you automatically? How does that work? I, we were you do a rotational
1: basis where you'd you'd work an assignment for three years and then you'd either go back to patrol or you could apply for another special job. And after I got out of narcotics, they uh, they have uh they had an opening in the background unit, which is basically the personnel function. You do a background checks and interviews and uh, of all the new hires for both the jail and the the deputies and all the support positions. So there was an opening there that nobody else wanted and I thought it looked kinda of fun. So I applied for that and I did that for three years. Wow. That was that was a good good job too. I enjoyed that. You really get that, to mold the kind of people you're hiring and
0: that's the select question the right is, people. Yeah, that's the question I was gonna ask you. What is the attributes of a good cop?
1: Well, the um gotta have a lot uh, integ- high integrity, honesty. And you got to be uh, assertive. Isn't really the right word. There's the, the old saying that 25 uh, percent of the population are sheepdogs. They call them sheepdogs. As a dog man. You would appreciate that. Sheepdogs just can't help themselves. They guard the sheep, risk their lives no matter what. It's in their it's in their DNA. They can't help it. And the kind of people that are drawn to law enforcement, both men and women, are sheepdogs. They tend to be the kind of people that are assertive and not afraid to step in. Uh, it's in their, it's just their natural reaction to make things better. They just, they're not passive people. So you you have to separate the kind of the sheepdogs from the non-sheepdogs because, you know, nothing against non-sheepdogs, but they just don't last long on the job. And it's really hard on them because they're stepping out of their They're trying to
0: make themselves be something they're not. You know, that is a very powerful observation, Pete. In fact, uh, as I look back and I see some of the best cops, street cops, not the guy that's in the shootout every week and all that stuff, but just the real day-to-day effective uh, policing are the ones that really kind of have a heart for the victim. (laughs) they see justice done to the weaker of, of humanity and they just stand up for them. I mean... That's a that's a very powerful observation. Yeah. So you went from background as a sergeant. Now, then you got promoted to lieutenant. Correct. So. And from
1: lieutenant, they uh, assigned me to the uh, CID Criminal Investigation Divis- Division. I was one of the two lieutenants down there, supervised uh, detectives. And that was a that was a good job too, and I was really glad I had my. Background in investigations from narcotics investigations because when I came to the, I mean I, I I used to count my search warrants. I had over three hundred search warrants when I was in narcotics, so I was really good at doing those kinds of investigations, and that really helped me when I got into
0: the detective division. Having that background, well, I would imagine that there's a lot of crossover there. Like a lot of the criminals are involved in narcotics anyway. I would assume. Did you find that to be true? (laughs) You probably ran across the same people uh, in the narcs that you did in the criminal investigation department. Yeah. 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 You
1: know, as well as I do, that 90% of everything we did involved rolled around drugs or alcohol. Sure.
0: Sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So now here's the interesting thing to me. When I left the sheriff's department, we had the county and we had these little communities that we policed. Um, and then, right after I left, uh, they began forming their own cities and incorporating. And so, they contracted with the sheriff's department for police protection after they'd become a city. And you became the chief of police in University Place, Washington. Correct. How long did you that? That's do a city. That?
1: It, it was a. It's a suburb of Tacoma. About thirty. It was about thirty-two thousand people. Um, nice, nice bedroom community. I did that from, for about six years, I was selected, uh, from uh, out of the investigation unit and then they sent me out to the city and, and that was quite an interesting experiment. They guess, cause we, we hadn't done any real contracting. It was kind of new to the department. So we were setting up uh, rules and regulations of what the heck we were doing. Nobody really knew. So all of a sudden we just had to set up a department. So, a department within a department. So I I found it really fun. To, uh, you know they gave gave me the the deputies, the support staff, and detectives, and off we went. It was it was uh, quite fun. The the thing I remember most about doing that, Bill, is is you, and you'll remember this from being in the county. I mean, frankly, county sheriff's departments are not very good at doing police. Well we're good at police work, we're not very good at at follow they were just so undermanned. They just are not very good at follow through. So many cases aren't assigned, people don't don't get the, the satisfaction they want. We just didn't have the manpower to do it. It was it was very sad the level that we provided in so many so many ways. Whereas in those cities they were able to hire more more officers and we were able to really do police work and I found it was really kind of satisfying because every call that came in, we could do something with it. Everything was followed up. Instead of in at the county, you know, you're kissing off half the stuff. You just don't have sure. the manpower. Yeah. So yeah, that was absolutely. my observation. I really, I was really glad that I got that experience. Um, of course, the negative side of it, I was, I could play the political game and I could kiss
0: babies as well as the next guy, but it wasn't really my forte. <laughs> so now you had to deal with what the city council and all that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah I answered to the
1: city manager and then the uh, council meeting. I have to go to the council meeting every week.
0: And we were just, you were like doing budgets and that sort of thing for the for the police department? Correct. Wow. So now the guys that you had, I know they assigned you deputies. Did they start hiring their own University of Place police officers or did they use deputies or how'd that work? They just used deputies.
1: And the okay. deputy could have, uh, at first, guys were kind of reluctant to go to these um, contract cities because they, you know, anything, you know, officers or anything new, it's like, oh, well, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. But once, once they got going and got settled, we'd have. Uh, it became a place that guys wanted to
0: work. That's interesting. So yeah. It worked out pretty well. Yeah. So I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised after talking to you, but it would seem to me that that would be a stepping stone for you to, after you retired, to become the chief of another city. Not so, huh? Yes. <laughs> no, I learned. I
1: learned after uh, I, tr- I, I always say I enjoyed my experience there and I learned a lot, but it definitely told me that I did not, did not under any circumstances want to move on and become a chief or a sheriff or any of those political positions. I I see. Yeah. That was, that was not my forte.
0: So six years as a chief and then what happened then? Where'd you go from there? Well, I was, I was promoted out of, um, university place
1: to, I made captain and they transferred me down to the detective division. I became the
0: captain of detectives. Back, back with the county, sure, right? Yeah, okay. back with the county. How many detectives were you in charge of?
1: I think when I was there, we had roughly 40, 40 detectives. We had like 10 IDEN officers. At any given time, I think there was probably a dozen deputies that worked down there. You know, we had deputies working juvenile division and and different assignments like that. So I think the manpower is about 75 people. How many captains?
0: detective? Just one captain. You were the captain, so you had lieutenants under you. Correct. Was there any sergeants under you?
1: Uh, Yes, there was detective sergeants would run like the juvenile unit, and the sex uh, okay. crime unit would have a detective okay. sergeant. Uh, so wow. you had little sub
0: commanders. Wow. That's that's quite a responsibility, my gosh, man. So as you uh, you're in charge of all this uh, CID and the NARCS and the chief and patrol. And now you're back in a captain in investigative detectives. How, what, let me ask you about certain calls. What is uh, uh, maybe a call that really sticks out in your mind that you were either involved in or investigated?
1: I always uh, my most challenging call, and I really liked turning mayhem into organization. That's probably why I liked being a sergeant. You know, you have a mess and you straighten it all out. But Probably the biggest one I ever stepped into I was the, the lieutenant in in CID working homicide. And I got a call that the guy was uh, walking down the road in, on a rural, in a rural area, kind of between two small towns, just shooting, shooting at, shoot at everybody at a rifle. No, oh, that sounds really interesting. Well, by the time I got in my car and headed that way, he had shot eight or nine people. Jeez. He had uh, killed a cup, couple, couple of them had actually died. So we had a homicide. Um, he was, We'd had the SWAT team in route. We had, we had everybody we could find and dragging them out to get them out there because just the extent of the crime crime scene. So when I roll up to this stuff, we got victims all over the place. We got crime scene all over the place. Shells. He shot cars, so we had cars, uh, damaged cars, and then the whole thing terminated by an officer from another agency shooting the guy. So now you throw an officer involved shooting from another agency in the county.
0: Yeah. No, man. Oh man. Which
1: officer involved shootings are challenging enough, but then you get another agency. So you got a whole new, uh, of call of their, their union and their, their deal. So that was, we were out there for a day and a night. That was, it was quite a scene and we drug out everybody. I, I kept telling them to call, 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 get every detective you got out here. We had, Victims in at least eight different hospitals. Wow. Uh, We had coroner. I always remember that call as being, when it was all said and done, it was kind of fun in a way. That sounds sounds kind of sick, but it was to pull it all together and organize that. And uh, when the guy actually went to trial, he was was a slam dunk. You know, we had such a good case on the guy. He went for life. So he wasn't, it wasn't a fatal
0: wound that he... No, he, he, okay. he, he yeah. I see. Yeah. shot him in the butt. <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. more more chaos than rolling up on that and you're in charge. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so that sounds like a very, uh, oh, man, that is challenging to bring that all together. And uh, You know, people don't realize, I mean, what stress that would be as far as, okay, I can't make a mistake here. Or this guy's going to walk. You know, any, any little error in investigation and miss some evidence or whatever and this guy could potentially get off on something. Who knows? I mean, the responsibility there is just, you know, a lot of people I don't understand it because I never had to do it. You know, that larger scene, but... I don't, okay, so, say the old saying, you only got one chance to do it right. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Man, that's a lot of responsibility. So, now... What would probably be uh, the most difficult call you were on, say, emotionally, or uh, had to deal with? I I
1: probably, if I had to think of the one that hit closest to home at the time, is I got a call. It was Father's Day, so we had just had had two small kids at the time, and we were to probably just celebrated with dinner or something. And I get a uh, phone call that there was a, a homicide. I was in a lieutenant homicide at the time. So I go out on this call and it was just, it was just a tragedy and cops had happened to be in time town at that time where the, and they were filming this thing. That's a TV the TV show. Cops. I'm sure, you know, yeah, the TV, TV, TV show. Okay. All right. So, so we get there and it was a domestic situation and, um, it Was a couple. They weren't. They weren't married, but they'd been together for a while, and they had three small children. And the guy had um, shot his wife. They got in some kind of. Our neighbors just said they heard yelling and then gunfire. So we. Uh, the guy killed his wife, and then he killed the three small children. Six, like six months, um, two years, and four years. Mm, just wow. tragedy. And then he. Then he killed himself. And I just, uh, that always kind of stuck with me just because it, and it went on to become, uh, kind of a, well, I don't want to call it famous, but it got to be used that that particular cop session got to be used in a lot of domestic violence training. It's kind of a worst case scenario, but it was, it was very sad because I had kids about the same age at the time. And that was just, it was really tough to kind of work that scene. Nobody ever likes to see, um,
0: Dead children, you know, sure, breaks your heart. Well, yeah, you know, and I—I I don't know. You tell me. Whenever I was involved in that kind of situation, it was kind of like the feeling of helplessness. I mean, my job is to protect and serve, and there was nothing I could do. You know, you felt like, "Well, was it? You know, was there something I could have done, or, or you know, that yep. kind of thing?" And I think that really, I mean, for the guys on the scene as well, you know, and that's really tough for them. I mean, all of a sudden it's over. Gee. So, yeah, that's, those are tough. But it sounds like you came out of it. It sounds like you got a pretty good handle on that. I mean, uh, if nothing else. I mean, we have to look at the positive end of it. Some positive training came out of that. I mean, we're sorry it all happened, but use the tragedy for some good in any way. So. And I would say, you, you tell me, what is the worst type of call in your experience, that a police officer can go on?
1: Well, I think if you ask the average police officer, I'd all tell you they do not like going to domestics. They just don't, don't enjoy it. They're, they're a mess. Uh, it's a they're no-win situation so often. It um, can be frustrating because you can go back to the same house night after night. Nothing seems to be, get, get better. If you make it a if you do make an arrest, you know the victim can turn on you the next day. and said, no, I don't want to do it. It it it's just kind of a pain in the butt, really, for yeah, you know, for guys. Yeah. So I, I think if you ask the average guy, that's what they. That's probably why you started uh, playing canine, so you didn't have to do that. Huh?
0: <laughs> well, what would you say, Pete Carter? Was the hardest challenge, most challenging type of call for you? I got. I know what mine is.
1: Um, well, as I got as I got into administration, spent more time on the hardest the hardest uh, calls were the officer involved shootings, uh, where you yeah. go out and investigate the officer involved yeah. shootings because there yeah. there you're talking about cannot cannot make a mistake, and you have to treat the the officer, the deputy, or whoever's involved. You got to treat them right, or you can or they can be ruined for life. I've sure. seen guys that were treated roughly that are just never the same because I mean, police officers go in, you go into that field. Cause you want to help people. You want to do the good things. You want to help little kids across the street. I mean, it's, it's, it's the nature of the person. And then all of a sudden you are involved in a shooting and you possibly take a life. I mean, it's very devastating to the officers, So you have to treat them good. And I, and I will say our department got really good about, We'd bring out support staff, other officers, call whoever they wanted to. We had uh, chaplains for them. We, we got to where we we really got good at treating treating those officers, as they should have been treated all along because it's tough. So those those calls were tough.
0: I imagine. I just, you know, when you really think about it, that is walking on eggshells. I mean, okay, you have to investigate it, but um, – the guys in, that did the shooting—he's all of a sudden—he feels like a suspect. Everybody's pointing fingers at him and second-guessing yep. him and everything. But I tell you, that is challenging. Yeah. Well, well, you know. And again, Pete, I'm glad we had guys like you that had a calm uh, demeanor and could just kind of see the big picture there. I would say the calls that just used to just drive me crazy—we're dealing with the mentally ill. I mean, people offered meds, meds. Um, <laughs> you know, it take four cops to bring down a guy that weighs 130 pounds. Cause he just mecked out or whatever, or, you know, you pull up there and he's got tinfoil on the wind windows. <laughs> Those kind of calls are the worst ones. I guess, again, there's no, uh, uh, Dealing with the person. Well, oh you know, yeah. You know, how do you fix it? How do you
1: fix yeah, it? Yeah. Boy, I forgot about that. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me of that. I forgot, especially because when we worked out in Lakewood, you worked Lakewood most of the time too, and oh, it was geez. just it was, every every uh, mentally person in the state they'd send to the Lakewood Hospital, the western yeah. state out there, and then they would they would release them, put them in an apartment in the neighbor neighborhood, you know, injecting them back into life. So we, got, yep. yeah, you're right. We got a lot of those calls. Well, and the thing was about that, I mean, you could get one of those calls and it could tie you up for four hours. Easy. I mean, you had to, by the time you got the mental health pro out there and then they did this, I mean, it's just, they just ate up your time.
0: Oh, God. You got to sit there and babysit this uh, guy who's not thinking too straight. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know, and don't forget the uh, Veterans Hospital there. <laughs> yeah. The VA out there and, uh, oh, my God. But anyway. It's, uh, you know, and the funny thing is, and this is a lot of people don't understand, but we had some real dangerous calls from guys who were, you know, almost like your guy with a rifle walking down the street, except maybe they got a hatchet or something, you know. They, uh, do you know that police dogs can smell crazy? And I know why I'm they, sorry, I missed that. You know, I was in canine. So, okay, well, he's got the dog. He's cool. Dogs can smell crazy. They don't want anything to Ooh. do with crazy. <laughs> Is that right? They would, uh, oh. they would, you could tell if they were around a crazy person. Huh? Oh. oh, my. I mean, it's like you see these pictures of the dog just taking off and grabbing a guy and all that. And these dogs said, mm, I don't know, this guy's nuts. <laughs> and I can tell. I don't want anything to do with him. You know? So that was, that was uh, a lot of people don't realize that. Well, you're a police dog. You're cool. Oh, really? <laughs> Once you get in there and start mixing it up, the dog, you know, he's doing his job, but it's almost reluctantly. So that's interesting takes on things. But it sounds like you're doing a uh, do, now. Tell me about uh, you're retired now. What have you been doing since you retired, Pete?
1: Well, I never had any desire to work again. So I retired. And then uh, a year, about a year and a half, 18 months later, when we got our youngest child through college, my wife retired. And we always knew we were going to moved to Arizona. we had had enough of the rain and the clouds and the terrible weather in Washington. So we um, bought a place down. We looked around in different areas of Arizona. Um, we knew it would be somewhere down here. We ended up in an adult community. We thought we were going to just buy a house out in in the regular neighborhood, but we started looking at these adult communities and it's like, my goodness, there's a uh, baseball. I, could, I played baseball, slow pitch, and swimming and they have all kinds of clubs and all, there's just so much to do. So we got down here when we were both retired and we just hit the ground running. I mean, we were busy 24 seven doing stuff and and it hadn't really stopped. We're still, we're still kind of going. I have uh, in 2019, I guess a year ago, be almost a year ago now, I was diagnosed with cancer so my last year has been kind of a challenge, and I've been going through medical treatment, and um, I had to have a stem cell transplant. The flip side of the coin is the, there's no place for better cancer care than here in the valley, Phoenix Valley. My goodness, they're good down here. So that kind of slowed us down a little bit,
0: but, you know, I'm, I'm still here and kicking and still doing most uh, most of the stuff I always did. Well, you know, and we, we talked about that before. I think uh, the retirement, if you don't have those activities, and that's one of the things of this podcast, you know, my heart goes out to guys that don't have a plan, uh, whether whether it's uh, doing some, to feel relevant, you know, whether it's being involved in activities or even starting their own little business or doing something on the side to, you know, get a, have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, most cops I find that retire aren't strapped financially most of them uh but it's the social aspect of they miss the camaraderie of the police department but yeah. if you don't re- if you don't replace that with other you know uh like you're in a community there i mean uh i know what that's like uh so there's a lot of uh, social interaction with other people and and that sort of thing now a lot of people don't realize uh, unless you've been through it. And I, I can't say I 100% realize it, but I did. I was a chaplain with hospice program for a while. But you get the word that you've uh, got a serious diagnosis, and that puts a whole new outlook on life and what's important and uh, how important it is to, uh, you know, we don't know how long we're going to live, but by golly, we're going to live all of our life. So, exactly. Don't, yeah, that was the... Uh...
1: It's it's a tough phone call when you get that, and there's, you know, everybody has lost friends and people they know to cancer, and they always say, "Man, that's got to be terrible." I wonder, you know, that phone call and what if it, you just think how terrible that is. But until it really, until it really happens to you, you boy, you just don't know. And uh, I was just fortunate that I have, you know, a fairly treatable cancer. It's serious, but it's fairly treatable, and they could control it. But um, it, it's it's a very scary thing, and you really learn to live. Every day is important. Every day is a treasure. And I've, I'm, a, I'm a man of faith, so I had I had that backing me up.
0: So it, it helped me get through the whole process. Well, that's important. I mean, a lot of people leave out the spiritual aspect of it all, and then something happens. I mean, where are you going to go? I mean, that is... Uh... That is a tower of strength that we, we hold on to. But so your treatments are progressing. And so you've got a bright spot there and that looks good for you. And that's, that's great. And now you're back to swimming and doing whatever you do. Yep. I'm, I'm back out doing just about everything. I haven't tried uh baseball slow pitch again,
1: but I got back out on the golf course playing bad golf. I've got, uh, got back in the pool. That's, it's what I did as a kid. I was a swimmer. So I got through college, so I, I like to swim. And a lot of other activity, just a lot of social stuff. So I'm getting back into you. You just can't, can't let it uh, consume your life because it's, it's an all-consuming disease if you let it be.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good advice for anyone that's, uh, that's healthy and to take advantage of life. And, boy, don't discount and Appreciate it every day. That is so important. we live our life. Well, Pete, listen, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And every time I get to talking to you guys with 30 plus years on, I always make them commit to maybe a a follow-up podcast somewhere down the line. Kind of wrapping things up now, but I know we didn't even talk very much about the narcotics. I mean, you probably get a million stories there and even your physical condition now and how you deal with retirement, how your family does that. And I know we've got some kids in uh, college and that, so. But anyway, listen, I appreciate you so much being on the podcast with me today, and uh, well, can I get you to commit to maybe a part two somewhere down the line? Sure. Yeah, you didn't hurt me too bad, I guess. I'm <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to treat you right here, Pete. But anyway, uh, what about six? We're about 60 miles apart, so we've got to uh, make a point to get together and uh, just check things out and and have lunch at least. So, Well, listen, thank you so much, Pete. God bless you. Godspeed, and I'll be in touch with you to see how you're progressing there with your treatments and that. All right. My pleasure, Bill. Thank you. Okay. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Boys in Blue podcast. Again, I'm your host, retired police officer Bill McReynolds. Boys and Blue comes out every other week. Subscribe to the Boys and Blue wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and let us know what you think.